Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is another edition of the Amplified Kitchen, a series of talks and events held at About Blank with support from Music Board Berlin. In a talk titled For Sale, Feminism, a Marketing Tool, different generations of feminists explore and debate the pros and cons surrounding the intersection of feminism, social media, and marketing. Moderated by Christine Kakari, it brings together Suzanne Kirschmeier, also known as Electric Indigo and founder of veteran feminist platform Female Pressure. Then there's co-founder of We Make Waves, Kiva McAllister, and finally Izzy Barrero, a member of the Kunk and Discwoman collectives performing under the name Student. Together they attempt to prize apart the tricky topic of how best to use social media in the pursuit of an equitable and just electronic music community. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange from the Amplified Kitchen is up next. Before we dive into this very tricky topic, we should have some introductions. My name's Christine, I'm gonna be the moderator for the next hour or so. We're gonna have some Q&A opportunities afterwards. So if you've got a burning question, just, just hang on till the end. But I'd like to introduce the three panelists that I have here with me. Here we've got Kiva McAllister from We Make Waves, uh, Susanna Kirchmere, also known as Electric Indigo and the founder of Female Pressure and Izzy Barrero, who is uh, an artist who records and DJs under the name of students. So please help me welcoming them. <laughs> it might be a good opportunity just to go around this uh, square formation and for each of you to talk a little bit about the projects that you're involved in. And then we, we can dive into this topic, which is feminism, a marketing tool for sale. Let's start with Kiva. Uh, hi, uh, yeah, I am one of the organizers of We Make Waves Festival and Conference for women, trans and non-binary people in the music industry. Uh, it had its first edition in November of last year and it's a three-day conference and music festival uh, focused around issues affecting uh, <laughs> people of all genders in the music industry and also kind of a skill-sharing mentoring platform. Hello everyone, um, Yeah, I'm here for Female Pressure, that's a network and online database for female, non-binary and trans artists and cultural workers in electronic music and digital arts. Yeah, in its 20th year this year uh, and there is a long history uh, <laughs> and uh, it's grown to two th more than 2,200 members now from 75 countries. 
Most of them are from Europe, about three quarters. We have been doing like several uh, special projects and maybe most fitting for this panel might be the fact survey that we did. Uh, we counted lineups of uh, festivals and uh, last year we published the third facts report which was the most comprehensive one and uh, so we had a closer look at the actual numbers of uh, female non-binary and trans participation in festival lineups. Hello, hello. Uh, I'm Izzy. I'm from New York. Um, I'm part of two collectives. One is Kunk, which is a a uh, queer media collective made up of mostly queer and trans people of color um, based in the United States. I'm also part of Discwoman, which is a collective and booking agency uh, based out of New York. I'd say most of my work is in DJing and production. Uh, with Discwoman, we do a lot of events that focus on women, on binary, trans people, people of color. Um, we do a lot of workshops and showcases trying to highlight new talent in the States and also here. I also do like workshops on production and DJing and um, I also uh, manage a Eurorack company in the States. Let's wind back a little bit. I, I definitely want to start with you, Susanna, to see what the kind of impetus for the creation of female pressure was and also what the conditions were. But I think before we dive into that, I think we're definitely in a moment where issues of feminism and issues of equality, whether it's regarding gender or uh, race or class, are really at the forefront. However, these are conversations that have been being had within electronic music in particular for a couple of decades now. And female pressure was definitely one of the first um, instigators of creating space for this conversation alongside other resources like uh, pinknoises.com and Ladyfest. So I'd love to hear from you, Susanna, about what was happening at that time for female pressure to become a necessity to create. Mm. I'm, uh, it was simply like uh, my personal experience. Uh, I started to DJ in 1989 and I did not really think about uh, whether I was doing this as a woman or as a, what else creature you could think of, but for the love of music. And uh, the reaction from the outside world, like the, the visitors, uh, the party goers, uh, the promoters who always like pointed out that it was so special uh, to see a woman behind the decks. And that made me, of course, more aware of uh, the whole issue. Then I encountered so many instances of uh, people being like totally surprised or people uh, saying something stupid like, oh, you're really not bad for a woman. And every one of my female colleagues has heard a comment like this before. I regularly was involved in discussions about are there other female DJs, for example, that was the starting point, usually like late at night, either before or right after a DJ set, and my mind was somewhere else, but I still engaged in such conversations, and I started to name my colleagues, and uh, people were usually like, oh yeah, right, I didn't think of her, and so uh, they kept forgetting the names of other women, 
at the same time, in the mid-90s, it became very clear uh, that the internet could be like the right medium for a resource for information that can be accessed rather independently from time and location. So I started to collect names and make long lists <laughs> and uh, had the idea to, to put this online, uh, ideally in form of a database so that people could uh, look, f search for criteria and uh, get more information, make this like more accessible. And kind of fast forwarding to now, so 20, 21 years down the line, and I think you said earlier you've got a couple thousand members in 70 countries, I believe you said. 75. That. 75. How, in your um, estimation, has the role of the internet changed in the sense of taking this purpose and pushing it forward? And I, I definitely want to open it up to the other two as well, because I think this is a good opportunity to talk about how the internet can be harnessed um, and how perhaps it's not being harnessed in the most effective way. So it'd be great to get your view on how it's changed for female pressure and some of the challenges that you're facing now. <laughs> well, uh, the, the internet has become a lot more common. I remember like uh, when I started to collect the names, like the forms uh, or tables I had, they uh, included a field for a fax number. <laughs> and uh, that's quite funny to say nowadays uh, and hardly anybody had an email address so of course nowadays and that's so obvious it's almost maybe too boring or too banal to point out but the communication has become really easy and uh, transfer of knowledge and information has become easy for those who have access to, to internet, of course. But it's also a bit overwhelming, maybe. But what I see, like the biggest change that I see is that there are so many more young women making music nowadays and uh, produ like producing and um, being less afraid of uh, engaging in this like kind of art world and yeah. Perhaps we can talk a little bit, Izzy, about um, your involvement in the Cunt Collective and also in Disc Woman, um, because I know that they have been, Disc Woman in particular, have been really smart about developing a network and developing a brand and utilising the internet to kind of let people know what their purpose is, I suppose. So how, how did you actually come into the fold with both of those collectives, first of all? Sure. Um, I mean, I found out about Kunk very locally in terms of just being in New York and going to raves and meeting people like on a very one-to-one -one basis. But in terms of distributing our, our content, our music, and I think the same thing goes for Discwoman, um, it was really important to use online platforms, whether it's SoundCloud or just making a website and Twitter and Instagram to be able to build your online presence and make connections with younger artists or newer artists and old artists. Um, I think Kunk is not really that um, much of like a brand in the same way that Discoman is. I think Discoman is particularly intentional about the way that we use an online platform and um, the way that even with just like merch, um, it's so easy to get people access to the brand and to give them access to the mixes that we do and um, everything that everyone's doing so that it's easy to know like, what is this new artist doing? When is their next show? It's, it's a really easy way to 
um, inform people about everything that's going on. But yeah, I don't know. I think Disc Woman is very particular in that it really knows how to use the internet as like a as a marketing tool in a strategic way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something worth revisiting. So let's uh, stick a pin in that. But I also wanted to talk briefly about the idea of the internet, and I guess more you know safe spaces or in inclusive spaces. Let's let's say it that way. I know that female pressure has a kind of application process and other resources like Sister, for example, is like a secret group that it exists online um, or on Facebook rather. Perhaps Kiva, perhaps you'd like to talk about your, I know that you are a member of Female Pressure, what these kind of online spaces have meant for you in terms of developing the ideas for We Make Waves or developing the community around it. Funnily enough, in this time, this day and age, our work so far has been mostly sort of in person. So we do like a lot of in-person mentoring and connecting people with one another and networking and the rest of it. But yeah, I feel like I've benefited a lot from being part of these uh, online movements. I think that what the kind of physical in-person stuff and the online stuff has in common is like it's, it, a lot of it is based around, or not, I mean this is a misrepresentation, but like a big part of the work is like debunking these like bizarrely persistent myths that like women and non-gender conforming people just like don't exist in the industry or aren't doing anything interesting or if they are doing something that it's like they're not doing it very well or they don't have a network or and uh, it's just kind of like wading through all of those like bizarre myths and being like no that's just like like you said that's not true there are all of these people who are really active and doing these like brilliant things and like here's a list you know or like here's a great mastering engineer you can use or like you know, whatever it is you need, there's somewhere there's like a woman doing it really well. Um, and that is not only really useful in like a practical way, it's also very, like to use a very overused word, like very empowering as like someone coming into the industry, like really inspirational because it can just be like a, just an incredibly off-putting, discouraging industry to be part of. Most of my experience, I'm a musician as well, but like haven't been active in a while. <laughs> In, in any kind of meaningful way. But most of my experience was as like a, an industry professional working for labels and festivals and you run into the same walls and deal with a lot of the same issues on all different levels. So it's, it's very, very useful to have those spaces to run to and be like, it's not just me. <laughs> I'm not the only person who's ever like heard these words or like been treated this way or been excluded in this fashion. And I think that's a nice uh, segue into talking about how this moment that we're having or we have been having for the last couple of years where there are more and more conversations and more and more awareness um, and more and more platforms, communities, etc. but perhaps also more and more resistance and more and more um, co-opting of certain signifiers of uh, a feminist agenda or um, perhaps a more cynical type of alignment <laughs> because it seems like the right thing to do or it seems like the um, prudent thing to do. I kind of just want to open it up with a, a question or rather a dilemma that I feel like I have been personally grappling with the last couple of years as I attend more and more of these types of events and participate in more and more of them as well. And I feel like I can't quite figure out what the way forward is. But the, the first quote I, I want to read to you, and it's, I, it's by Audre Lorde, who um, was an incredible feminist writer and thinker. 
Um, and she was talking specifically about racism, but I think it applies in this instance as well. Talking about how to approach the idea of dismantling the structures that are working against you. And the, the quote says, for the, mas the master's tools will never dis dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change, which I thought was a really interesting way of looking at some of the movements and some of the actions that we've seen in the last couple of years, such as social media call-outs, for example, things like d diversity initiatives um, by corporate organisations um, who wish to align themselves with a movement or a mood that seems trendy, and even opportunities for individuals to ally themselves with a kind of like, to be able to perform wokeness or allyship, that kind of thing. I'm going to open the floor if anybody wants to jump in on this topic because it's something that I feel is definitely true. But on the other side of it, I feel like there are opportunities to amplify voices and to represent people who have been underrepresented. So it's something that I'm kind of like on a bit of a seesaw about. Do any of you have feelings about that one way or the other? Oh yes, <laughs> I definitely do and uh, like taking the title of today's event is uh, feminism a marketing tool. I My answer is I wish it were. Um, I mean you must never forget that we're like especially in Europe but not only in Europe we are living like in a very like regressive <laughs> uh, environment and uh, I think women's rights are actually undermined, uh, being undermined by uh, right-wing politics. And uh, so I think, of course, there are advantages and there is a hype and there it is kind of fashionable, but that is restricted to a very limited audience. And uh, if there is a chance for women to come step forward and to, to become uh, better known and more famous, um, that's good. So, like, <laughs> everything that works uh, is somehow acceptable in, in most cases, at least for me. I don't trust that uh, it will last for very long. Uh, it's remarkable. I thought, I mean, I could see it somehow even, like, as a reaction to our first fact survey that it became really, like, a hype topic in media, like the, the quota or the uh, participation of, of uh, women in festival lineups and I would have s expected uh, that it would have lasted a lot shorter <laughs> but it's still going so that's already surprising but as you said like there have been like several waves of uh, you know media attention to to this topic I remember someone posting like a couple of years ago the cover of Accelerate with featuring uh, Heather Hart on the cover from New York with like the title the future is female <laughs> and uh, that was I don't know in, in 96 or something so uh, we are reiterating and when you talk to uh, Feminists from previous generations, uh, you know, they will say, yeah, we had the same discussions like back in the 70s or back in the 80s. So we are doing like the same thing over and over again. But I have a feeling that in certain circles, uh, the discussion 
has a, a new quality and it goes a bit deeper than it used to. But maybe that's just my optimism, I don't know. Um, before Kiva and Izzy jump in, I'd like to ask um, specifically about facts. Is there a kind of uh, like a manifesto or like a hoped for outcome of the end process of doing this kind of like qualitative survey? Is there an end point where facts won't have to happen anymore, do you think? Well, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, probably not. I mean, in theory, you could say uh, if we have achieved like a steady parity, which is out of sight in, in my opinion, then we could stop uh, doing the facts, of course, and then female pressure will be obsolete. And then that's paradise somehow. <laughs> but I don't see it yet. Okay. Um, Kiva or Izzy, did you have any thoughts on the previous question? I really like that quote. And uh, there's another one that I'm trying to remember here. It was like, it's attributed to like Einstein, but it could have been like Marilyn Monroe or Elvis, like who knows. But like, uh, we can't solve our problems using the same thinking that created them, which is like a, a similar one. And that's one that like comes to mind a lot for me when I'm kind of in these different spaces, especially when, especially every now and then when kind of ugly turfism rears its head, for example, in feminist circles, as we've had a lot of experience of, and I'm sure everyone has. And these kinds of like exclusionary tactics or kind of like superiority complexes or whatever that sort of, um, I think it's weirdly difficult to avoid those. Like people just kind of reproduce the same like structures of power within um, within these these spaces, and that's something that needs to be grappled with. I think we're all like so conditioned to try and like instead of like none of us. It's almost like we have to really learn what like actual equality means instead of like stepping on other people's heads to get closer to the top. So that's that's a tough that's a tough one, and and I think that's where that Audre Lord quote comes in. You know, you have to like really completely reimagine like what it is exactly that you're trying to the world that you're trying to create uh can you remind me the rest of the question <laughs> Sorry. i don't remember <laughs> to be honest i think it's really posing kind of the like you know the the huge dilemma of how do you participate in a system that is fundamentally trying not to have you succeed and what how do you participate in a way that does not replicate those structures for you and other people and I think that's like really, really hard. Like it's, yeah. there's not like a one way answer. And I think that it's, you're constantly negotiating what feels good for you and like what feels real to you and feels truthful and does not, you're always like trying to mitigate your own harm and like what you're willing to risk or what personal values you're willing to compromise or not compromise and how it's affecting the people that you're working with. So I think it's like a constant negotiation of figuring out, does this feel right for me and does it feel right for me right now? I think that like what you said about how like this, these conversations have been happening for so long, I think it makes sense because capitalism is always willing to figure out how to monetize these issues because it's so aware of it. You know what I mean? It's like we're not dumb. Like we know that inequality across gender and race and class has existed forever and they're going to these issues are going to keep coming up. And so capitalism is always going to be invested in ways of figuring out how to monetize it and make it profitable for them. You know, it's like the pink washing of the LGBTQ movement and how to, you know, you see like banks with pens with, with the pride flag on it. It's like, what the fuck is that about? Um, 
we're not, it's, it's never going to stop happening, and it's, we're never going to find brands not being invested and interesting, interested in aligning themselves with feminism or um, any other kind of ism that is progressive or radical. Yeah, it's kind of just like figuring out how you can work within that um, strategically to make yourself visible, even though visibility is a trap, fundamentally, but how to not be tokenized, but also um, access the resources you need to do what you need to do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that this idea that like feminism can or should be a marketing tool is, um, I mean, it, it kind of, it frightens me when, when, um, when things that I really care about become trendy because it's so ephemeral and so kind of uh, like possible that it will be gone tomorrow. And also because it's just like, in a way, like putting the future of the movement into the hands of capitalism. Like it's like by using that as a marker of how far we've come or like what taking the temperature of the general population according to like what the new like Adidas ad has in it is like giving away somehow, giving away some of the power to capitalists. I don't know. Do you think that it's a matter of redefining the parameters of success perhaps as an artist to be able to like disengage from this or do you foresee any way for somebody to, as Izzy said, to engage in these or to utilise these tools to be able to uh, lift themselves up, build themselves a profile, but be able to kind of retain like so-called integrity or to kind of keep the, the final mission in mind? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think the, the question is funny to me because it's always like women or marginalized people or people of color or trans people that are always asked to like have this like super moral position about participating in things. And it's like, right. men aren't like asked like, oh, should you like do this or not? Or like, can you like fuck with this brand? Like, you know, it's like, it's, the onus is always put on us to be like, well, is this like morally okay for me to do this? And am I like, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like, fuck that. Because it's like, we're already underrepresented, uh, underrepresented, we're already not being paid enough, we're already not like getting the things we need. And if someone's going to come at you and be like, you shouldn't be doing this and da 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 da, because it makes you less authentic, and it's like, well, then pay me. Fuck you. Like, pay me if you're going to, like, have that criticism of me and not, like, have that criticism or put that on other people as well or the people that are creating that structure to begin with. Mm. You know? It's like, it's not on you to always be like, I can't take this gig because someone's going to think I'm a sellout because of it. You know? That's just not sustainable in any way. And, like, that's not the way it should, it should just be for artists. I don't know. Yeah. Homies had a really great discussion about this. I don't know if you were at that discussion in Hotsmarkt. Oh uh, yeah, with sponsored by ASOS about sort of the role of brands in activism. And it's the same you know, like it's all very well to say that you shouldn't be accepting this money, but like what's the alternative? Like within the current system until until something really massive changes. It's like you can't like dismantle the house right now. Maybe you can like build a smaller house next door <laughs> until such a time. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> let's let's move on a little bit to the idea of how to engage in this wider community. Um, of course, we've talked about these incredible and much needed spaces where people can connect um, and support each other and amplify each other, and that's wonderful. But as like stakeholders in this community, we have to participate and um, engage with other people as well. And of course, as the result of some of these conversations of the last couple of years, there have been various flashpoints and flare-ups and 
dramas and meltdowns and social media takedowns, et cetera, et cetera, which we're all familiar with. What do each of you see as the way forward for people who exist in these marginalised communities to be able to engage in these types of conversations in a way that's not harmful to them but is impactful? Because my personal feeling is that a lot of the discussion around it and a lot of the interactions are very highly charged And again, it's like it feels like the the woke Olympics, like people are trying to perform their level of um, allyship to the utmost, but the outcome is never really clear. Well, I think there there is not much outcome. Uh, There is a certain common sense that uh, some somebody's career might be ruined because of the shitstorm. But then, you know, two months later, you find out the business. There's business as usual going on. So, and that's what I mean when I say uh, I wish it were that feminism would be like a, a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. Because as a matter of fact, it is only to a very, very little degree. Because mainstream is not feminist. <laughs> At least I, I think so. I don't see it. No, no, I agree. I think that it's... Yeah, like kind of what you said, business as usual. It's like there are very small like bursts of impact that people can have with either call-out culture or, you know, people recognizing when something is like super, super screwed up that somebody says. But yeah, it's not, it doesn't, those kind of things don't like fundamentally change the structure like across the board, you know, like some dude says something, it's like he's probably still bringing in a lot of money to venues and like they're not going to just, you know, there's so much there's so much structure and power behind it that just this one thing can't can't dismantle that alone, you know. So and I think also like people don't really it's not that they don't want to they don't want anything to change but they don't particularly try to change. Like they they use these incidences as like a lightning rod for their rage and like resentment and frustration, but there's not really that much beyond that. It's like everybody like for a couple of days gets really excited about posting like think piece after think piece about how this particular person is the worst. But there's no like real kind of contextualization of this incidence. It's like almost like this one person is this like crazy aberration in a sea of like wonderfully flawless, faultless people. And nobody kind of applies it to their own position or actually kind of comes up with any like concrete measures, which it, you know, I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. Like I don't really know why that is, but. I mean, in, in, in that moment, just like just getting cross without actually kind of turning that anger into action. Well, I think it would take something that I sometimes misses a lot. Uh, it would take solidarity. And I mean, that's such an old fashioned word. And but still, I think it's it's extremely important. I sometimes miss that in, in female pressure, too. But I also acknowledge that uh, female pressure only exists because there are so many people involved who are very solidary. Um, but I see it like every once in a while that uh, somebody like leaves or does not join because they say, I can't see how I profit from it. So like they... They totally internalized this, this like a certain neoliberal, uh, very egocentric thinking of I only do what brings my career forward and nothing else. And it's also quite uh, myopic this 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 kind of thinking. Uh, 
that's that's what I think. Yeah, and in this case, like like when what do you do? Like what what sort of punishment could you have for people who say something terrible or who do something very wrong? Is to to somehow boycott them uh, or to to um, neglect cooperating with them and I hardly ever see that I saw it once like in this specific case that we do not want to uh, name explicitly at <laughs> this panel but uh, Fennes from Vienna the, the electronic music artist he cancelled a gig uh, where the person who said something very wrong was also booked when he found out. And I think this is something that not everybody can afford to do either. You must not forget, like, this kind of solidarity is um, also a privilege if you can show it. Definitely. Boycotting is a major privilege. But I think it's a very kind of human thing when something is so huge, like when something is so huge that there's not really that much you feel you can do about it, and then you have this kind of like one isolated incidents that incident that you can kind of like funnel all of your rage and resentment with the like overarching structure at and then you, you sort of just get it all out and you, then you've kind of like you feel relieved afterwards but nothing's actually really changed and like actually having a conversation about about the structure that created this particular incident is is a lot harder and I think I guess that's what we're trying to do here yeah I wanted to go back to what you were talking about earlier. Um, I think it was Izzy that mentioned it about um, the role that capitalism plays and also to do with boycotting. Um, and also what you mentioned earlier, Susan, about organising and collecting. Do you think there is a possible future where groups of marginalised folks would be able to organise and reach scale and be able to have some kind of like perhaps economic impact um, if there were a very problematic person or... Um, another situation where not that somebody has to be punished but where something has occurred and perhaps um, it's not being taken as seriously or something like that I don't know is that a possible future of having of organizing and having an impact economically do you think that that would be able to break through some of these structures which seem so huge and um, impenetrable I mean yes and I think that there there are like that does happen on like very small like local levels um but i think that like to disrupt something economically those those people who are underrepresented or marginalized would also to have would also need to have a substantial level of like economic power and economic resources themselves so it's like like kind of what you're saying where it's like it's expensive or it's you have to be able to kind of afford to disrupt in a way especially when you're operating and within this like industry and market where there's so much money being invested into artists and put into shows and booking and all this stuff. So yes, yes, but I think that it requires social capital, like a level of like economic resources or just like a certain level of comfort in order to do that and operate from that position where you, you either are comfortable with the risk you're taking of, of losing or the risk is not that substantial for you right. or, for, or for your collective or for your group or whatever, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think also just like a really thick skin because like... Yeah, totally. If you even look at someone like, someone who has arguably got a lot of, I mean, it's maybe different because it's not a collective, but like someone like Alice Glass, especially if you're coming, kind of coming out personally about the sort of thing, you're putting your name behind the calling out of someone in that way, it's 
it's pretty can be like a pretty pretty arduous task and I think like also I mean I'm kind of repeating myself but I guess like for me it's sort of a band-aid over like what is a very kind of like end symptom of a really shitty situation like like by the time someone actually gets to the point where they've done something like so egregious that we can call them out publicly and like everybody's gonna agree to boycott them like they've already done like a lot of damage probably and they've already been allowed to do a lot of damage for probably quite a long time so like it's probably not where we want to be like focusing all of our efforts is on that like one little like Exactly, and it's it's not very rewarding either. I mean, imagine all the energy that would go in such a uh, battle, let's say. Um, risk, it's it's somehow high risk, so high energy. <laughs> you could invest this a lot better for like being like a lot more constructive and re having rewarding results and not like just destroying this one little stupid person, you know. <laughs> well, perhaps we could invert that situation a little bit or um, look at it in more of a preventative way rather than trying to solve the outcome. And I'm kind of directing this towards you, Kiva, talking about creating these uh, communities, but also within that building, uh, networking, workshops, education, that type of thing. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how We Make Waves began and how it kind of uh, debuted last year in the festival form that it did. Well, yeah, I guess like for a lot of the reasons that we've been talking about today, like kind of trying to come up with a, a bunch of alternative solutions to this these sort of situations. I mean, I'm very aware of the like, sorry, I'm just like jumping over the introduction of it and just contextualizing it. I'm, I'm like very aware of the the pitfalls of like creating like a separate space for discussions to be had and for like skill sharing and um, training and all the rest of it to happen. But I think that it's like last year's edition kind of proved that there is a lot to be gained from, from having a space, just like a brief reprieve from like those elements in the music industry. Just if, if nothing else to prove that they don't, they don't like have to be there. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like that. And that you can have actual conversations about solutions that aren't just like sort of constantly complaining about how, how fucked up everything is. And also, yeah, just to kind of provide like a wide variety of positive role models, you know, I think it's, it's super important. I mean, like everyone that I've talked to at any kind of echelon of the music industry can name like so many kind of different mentors who understood in one way or another their position and the kind of shit that they were coming up against and helped them through it. And like, I think without that, it's like, it's kind of impossible because it's like, I can't remember what that Bjork quote was, you know, it's not just you or something. Like you do kind of, you do sort of feel that way until somebody tells you that it's that it's not. And then the idea of like just bringing, bringing together like lots of different people who could tell you that it's not just you and that there are like, different ways to get around it was kind of one of the finding principles for us. And uh, is it was it the same, a similar type of approach or issue to be resolved um, with the development of Kunk? Sort of. I think Kunk was more about like developing community and having people to having people to trust and be honest with about our vulnerabilities as artists, as people operating within the industry and then getting feedback. It's It was less about 
I mean, no, it, it was definitely about like sharing resources um, and kind of the same thing with Disquiman. What you were saying about how there's like so many more effective and productive ways of spending our energy, I really think that that's kind of where the idea of workshops and sharing resources with each other is so fundamental because we have to spend our energy and use our energy in like a super material way. Like it's not, it's not, it is material to like complain about someone and like hopefully get them kicked off a lineup, but it's so much cooler and more productive to say, Hey, I'm going to actually just like do a CDJ workshop or like do an Ableton workshop or just like have a meeting to discuss like how younger artists can figure out how to negotiate bookings, like how to know how much they should be paid, how to set up like a sound system, like just these things that give people tools to operate on an individual level and then also share with other people that they, you know, they know within their friend group or younger people, like just mentoring people and then giving them the power to also mentor other people and that kind of like distributed material network, I think, is super radical and, and changes things in a super productive way as well. It's been so interesting to observe the success of Disc Woman that's kind of grown from these, you know, three women wanting to create the kinds of parties that they wanted to go to and it has grown into this, like, platform to lift up and amplify other artists and a brand, a brand within itself. I also wanted to talk a little bit about some of the discrepancies, yeah, the gender gap in the music industry. I feel like we've been talking a lot from um, an artist and performer perspective, not necessarily, but primarily. And I feel as somebody who has always existed on the other side, either on the business side or the editorial side, that the uh, gender disparities that exist there are really troubling, but also the fact that women and non-binary folks and uh, people of colour will tend to be ghettoised in certain kind of allocated areas of the music business um, and they're pretty much absent in all other areas. Did any of you have any opinions on that or any observations in your own experiences of working with industry people um, and any of the disparities that you've observed yourselves? I, I think that's an interesting, I think the way that that's phrased is really interesting because I think that there's a huge, it's, it's kind of what you said earlier where there's like a huge illusion that there's like not women or non-binary or trans people or people of color like in the music industry. It's like, what do you mean? Like house and techno were created by like black gay and trans people. Like it's kind of been like the history of music forever that these people have been that marginalized people, underrepresented people have been like creating and pushing forward music. So I think it's like less about being like, oh, these people like don't exist and more just recognizing that they're being obscured in a way and not being given the resources to, or not given the visibility to be seen or something. Um, I don't know if that's, that kind of like shifted the question, but yeah, I mean, and I, I think there are also like so many things that pop up where it's like almost like a quota thing that like people just like want to like, fill in with like whoever they can just because they want to have like this visibility and representation of people so that they don't get called out or so that they can wear the badge of being like we did a good job like we did the thing and that's hard too because I never like blame the artists for that it's more just like yeah that's that's kind of how brands know how to operate and and or you know some organization it's like they they will try to do as little as they can to seem as forward thinking as possible, which is sad. Yeah, my, my experience is a little bit different. I think uh, only, only the good ones, the conscious ones, the ones who have like a, 
let's say like a higher moral or uh, also like a higher imagination of their artistic quality in, in, in the program, let's say, or in the content more general, that th these people care about uh, how they are being looked at, if they are being considered forward thinking or not. And I think the the big mass of of commercial, let's say, promoters or media, they just don't care if if some like underground folks say, oh, this magazine sucks because they don't feature enough women, or the festival is not so cool because it's it's only like uh, one woman on the lineup. They don't care. Because they are selling their tickets or the, they are selling their ads in, in the magazine or, or whatever their the business model is. This is also why I doubt that that feminism is, is such an asset nowadays. Uh, it's Beyoncé who can afford it to, to put it like in a really like obvious way and but other people can't. But, and I'm thankful for Beyoncé for having done that because before I came across a lot more often artists who did not want to join Female Pressure because they thought, uh, you know, I don't want to have this image and it's, that might like endanger my career. And that's a lot less nowadays and I think that's a good thing because it, it strengthens... Uh, our ideas. I wanted to put forward a, um, a case study <laughs> in front of you. There was an email that popped in to my inbox this week from a very commercial label, like quite, um, quite well known, very successful main room. Um, and they have started this initiative about uh, supporting women and collaborations and they have a hashtag and they made a movie. And I was kind of looking at it in two minds, thinking this reeks of cynicism to me, but also looking at the young women who were, and it was, uh, f as far as I could see, um, cis women, who were talking about the opportunities that this kind of a thing afforded to them. So I'd love to get your, your final thoughts on if you were... If you were in that position, what, what do you think you would do if you were given this opportunity to participate in something which didn't feel quite right, <laughs> but you perhaps had the opportunity to amplify yourself and amplify the voices of other women? What would you do? It depends. <laughs> On? <laughs> On the circumstances. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, such things are tricky and it's not an easy... Uh, there is no easy, super clear answer. If it was like a... Probably if it was like an alcohol company, I wouldn't do it. Uh, just because it's alcohol and I don't think that needs like my backup, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's worth saying that this label, I looked on their discogs and they'd had, I think in a 10 year history, a release by one woman. So, mm. so but le let's, let's take another very concrete example. If the company is Ableton, of course I do it, you know, because I I work with Ableton and, and I like the company and great that they now take an effort uh, to feature more women, of course. So it it really depends who is doing it for what reasons also. Yeah, I think if you're like being tokenized, there's only so much, even if you're like recommending all of these really amazing people that you feel deserve to be 
like there's only so much kind of weight that your words can have if you're being like instrumentalized in that way then you're like even instrumentalizing other people by proxy I agree I think that it's super context dependent and it's always I think that it's like from time to time depending on where you're at in your career or what kind of support you have and what you might get out of it or how you can share resources it, it really depends you know like I think they're like what you what you said about like an alcohol company there's like some absolute no's like maybe not for me it would you know it would be that way but there are things where I'm like yeah no that just feels icky and other things where it's like if I can strategize and have as much control over my image and brand or whatever like if I can have as much control as I want over it then it might it might be worth doing yeah all right um, so as a final question to all three of you, um, what is your um, hope for the future of these types of conversations and these types of spaces? What would you like to see happening more of or less of, let's say, over the next next five years or so? More and more really lovely cis white dudes have been asking me like what they can do, which is really nice, <laughs> so I suppose. Or like, and I'm like, don't ask me, I don't know. Um, but I think like what I kind of, say to people is like it kind of comes back to i can't remember what we were saying about the professionals like the like people in the music industry like there are there people are ghettoized you know they're like in kind of assistant roles or they're like these like outlier women who are like so brilliant that they have to work on their own as booking agents or run their own publishing or like whatever because they just can't work in these teams of like bro macho office politics or whatever and like peop the reason for that is people don't recommend women like they don't recommend like people who aren't like uh, cis white men in general like even you know that happens with throughout like all of the arts we all like grew up like watching movies by American white dudes and reading you know nobody recommended James Baldwin to me when I was at school but everybody recommended Henry Miller you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it can't that applies to the music industry as well and like if everybody just like starts if you like don't somebody asks you for like a really good booking agent or like a really good mastering engineer or like a really good whatever it is and you can't think of one who's not like a white dude then like just think harder like it doesn't mean that you can't recommend just if if everybody that comes to mind because we all have like we've all like been kind of conditioned to like perceive the world in this way and like just try to find people to recommend and like question yourself if you can't think of any. What would I say? Well, I would wish for more alliances for, um, you know, join, joining forces and uh, progressive cis men, cis white men joining our forces. That would be good and some do. And as you just mentioned, they're getting more and um, that's that would be a very nice perspective that uh, you know we we have our own agenda, but uh, in some parts it there are overlapping interests and uh, where where we could fight together that would be good. Yeah, more solidarity. I don't know. I guess ideally in five years it would be cool if we didn't need to talk about this, but that's like super unlikely. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I think that I think kind of what you said where it's like interrogating your own positionality. This isn't kind of like not even a five year thing. This is just like kind of what I'd like to see right now. I think people are always like in proximity to power, whether or not they think they are or not. Like even if you are marginalized, like we're always like negotiating our power with other people and by in our environment, and in our context. So constantly 
thinking through that and being intentional about the ways in which we share our resources and distribute power and yeah just just kind of trying to be intentional about that in our daily lives and professionally and in our in our creative world too